You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's just pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this passages this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you always reveal to us the next steps, Lord. You, you give us the practical application, Lord. You've given us yourself, Lord, but you also have given us the way forward. And this morning, as we look at this practical application of all that's gone before here in chapters 1 through 11, Lord, we just pray that our hearts and minds might be ready to receive all that you have to say to us this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray you bless this time in Jesus' name. So we have come to a very pivotal part in the, in the book of Romans, a series we have been calling Saving Grace, and I hope you've caught up with us to this point. But Paul is now going to switch from Christian doctrine to Christian living. But before we do that, I want to go back and just look at the end of chapter 11 and glean a little bit from Paul's doxology there, given to us here in the, in the final verses of chapter 11. Now, this is a great segue for us into chapter 12, of course, but it's also a great example to us and, and a foundation for, for reacting to and responding to all that has gone before in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. In verse 33, it seems like Paul seems to kind of break into a time of worship, you know. From all accounts, he was probably dictating this letter to somebody and they were probably sitting there and the, both of them got together and they just started to worship. Pull, Paul pulled out his ukulele because he probably had one back then too and he started to worship with these words. Oh, the depths there in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What an amazing response to all that has gone before us. Paul has done his best to clearly lay out all these important doctrines of grace for us. Paul's response is just simple amazement and wonder. It seems that the accumulation of all that Paul had written finally has hit him. You know, like when a wave is flowing towards the shore and you're standing there knee deep in the water and you're, you're admiring the beauty and the size of that wave. And then the wave finally crests and it finally breaks and all that water comes rushing towards you and you feel the full weight of what that all means, the true power of all that water as you're swept backwards. Well, this is Paul taking in all that he has written and the weight of the glory of God. It has crashed down on him and inspired worship, and it should inspire worship in us as well. He responds in two ways here that we can learn from. The first is amazement and wonder at the mercies of God, the ways in which God has revealed himself. Paul understands and has written down for us who we are in the light of who God is, how we were strangers and worse yet, enemies with God. Yet as in Psalm 40, he tells us, he drew me up from the pit of destruction 
out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then back in Romans chapter five, he also said in verse one, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoiced in the hope of the glory of God. And he rejoiced further in verse 11 of chapter five. We will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice in all that we know of God. This is what we do here on Sunday mornings. When we come, we respond through music to the character of God, to his love for us, his grace for us. And as our knowledge grows, our response grows. Our desire to give thanks and rejoice in the nature of God and rejoice in his justification, it grows. But Paul also responds to what he doesn't know. Paul realizes he has barely scratched the surface in understanding the nature of God. He writes to the Corinthians in chapter 13. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Remember when Moses asked God in the Old Testament if God would show him his glory and God was like, well, no, I don't think so. You'll probably die. But what I'll do is I'll stick you in this rock and then I'm going to pass by and then you're going to get kind of the tail end of my glory. And you know what the result of that was that Moses' face shone so brightly they had to put a veil over it and the people were afraid of him. Just that small taste of the, of the remnant of God's glory was enough to put fear into the people of Israel. But Paul revels in the fact that God is so much bigger than he can comprehend, as we sang this morning, greater than we could imagine, more beautiful than we can fathom. You know when you witness something amazing and marvel at it, yet you're not quite sure, you're not necessarily, you can't not necessarily comprehend how, how, understand how it works, whether it's a, a piece of music or it's art or it's a painting or nature or some great feat of strength. You know those talent shows like America's Got Talent or X Factor and they have these, um, you know, mentalists or they have these guys who do card tricks, magicians, and they do this thing. You're like, how on earth did they do that? You're like, you know, the judges are like, I can't believe he just pulled that off. And how did he do that? Yet we marvel and we rejoice at the unknown. How did they do that? We marvel and rejoice in the unknown. How much more for God, our Father? God, the one, as Paul says there in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. How big is your God this morning? How big is our God? How awesome is our God? I love singing that at the end of the worship through music this morning. So in light of all this that we've studied so far up until this point, how, we are, how are we now to take all of this and apply it as in our Christian life, in Christian living? In light of chapters 1 through 11, we've been justified by grace alone through faith because of Christ alone. And Paul there starts by telling us in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Now chapters 12 through 16 are going to be the outworking of all that has gone before in chapters 1 through 11. This is kind of the apex, the crux of everything that Paul has been moving towards so far in this book. Paul has been laying out these doctrinal principles, but how do we actually apply these principles? How do we apply, like back in chapter 6, verse 11, when Paul wrote, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But how will this new life then manifest itself? Or when he wrote in chapter 7, verse 6, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. But what are to be the distinguishing characteristics of this newness of the Spirit, this service that he talks about? What about in chapter 8, verse 3 and 4? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does walking in the Spirit actually look like? So these two verses that we are looking at, these two verses are the lens through which we view the rest of the book of Romans, and for that matter, our Christian lives. How do we walk according to the Spirit in the newness of life? So in light of this worship session here that Paul just has had at the end of the chapter, he starts with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, if you have a New King James Version, it probably says, beseech, I beseech you. Or if you have an NIV, I urge you. Or the New Living Translation says, I plead with you. You get a sense of what these translations are trying to convey. Urgency based on authority. And that great desire for us to understand the great significance of what Paul is talking about here. Why this all matters. I love being around people who have this kind of sense of urgency about them. Mainly because that means I don't need to talk. Let them take all of the spotlight. You especially find it in new believers. Everyone, everyone they meet, they say, you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. This is what he's done. He's changed my life. And it doesn't come across like it's some kind of suggestion. There, there's this genuine desire for you to, to have what they have. They're appealing to you. They're beseeching you. They're urging you. They're saying, you need to know Jesus. Somewhere I read it says that Moses commands, but Paul beseeches. Or you could say that the law dictates, but grace compels the law speaks to bondage but grace brings freedom brothers i appeal to you i urge you i beseech you i've laid out the riches of god's mercy what will you do with it paul's going to tell us the what what needs to happen but it's always rooted in the why and of course the why is jesus now if you've ever read the jb phillips translation it's 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 kind of like the amplified bible but jb phillips translation writes these two verses out like this and it's very and brings kind of brings them to life for us a little bit more with eyes wide open to the mercies of God I beg you my brothers as an act of intelligent worship to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to him and acceptable by him don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true true maturity I love those opening words of that translation with eyes opened wide Paul has been opening our eyes to the mercies of God as we travel through this book and what are some of those mercies that we can just think on this morning well there's justification from the guilt and penalty 
of sin. There's adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. We've been placed under grace and we're no longer under the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. There's been a promise of help in all of affliction. There's a confidence or there's assurance of standing in God's election. There's confidence of coming glory. There's confidence of no separation from the love of God. And there's confidence in God's continued faithfulness for us this morning. But can we just take here, just a moment here now, and just step back and ask ourselves the question, what compels me this morning? What is compelling my life, my decisions, my understanding of God? All these questions that make up this thing that we call life. Again, these verses, they're an accumulation of all that has gone before. Paul has been breaking down the why for what God has done. It is moments like this that we can also step back and ask, why? What are my motivations this morning? We can never let the business of life detract from the reason for living. Let me say that again. We can never let the business of life detract from the reason for living. We need to stop sometimes and take stock and evaluate our motives and decisions in light of God's word and his calling, my family, my job, my finances, my life goals. What compels me forward in these things? I know it might seem that my question assumes that you're not in the place or I'm not in the place where where God wants me to be or that my motives are wrong. But you know, for the most part, we probably are exactly where God wants us to be. But sometimes we forget why we're there. We get stressed, we get tired, we get caught up in trying to do it ourselves. We forget about the grace of God. You've forgotten that God is pleased with you this morning. Did you know that? He's pleased you with you this morning. He loves you. He's looking out for you. He's on your side. He's greater than you could ever imagine. He who has begun that good work in you, do you know what? He's going to complete it. Did you know that? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest in my grace. Let my grace fuel your motives. So just ponder that question this week. Let that be your homework assignment as you go away from this place. Your direction in life might not change, but maybe your motives will. Maybe you'll find rest in the grace of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And who is Paul talking to? Who does this appeal go out to? Those in Rome. It goes out to the brothers, to the brethren. Since chapter 9, Paul has been talking to the Gentiles and he's been talking to the Jews separately. But here he brings them all under the same heading of brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We are all brothers and sisters in the Lord, irrespective of our cultural and ethnic backgrounds. All that follows in chapter 12, it's going to apply to us all. Paul makes it clear, as we looked at last week, that God has mercy on us all. All men are equal at the foot of the cross. Now, believe it or not, that was my introduction. And so we have a couple more hours to go. Broncos only kick off at two, so I got you all morning. So, so well, from here on, Paul is going to instruct us. How are we to respond to this mercy? This is where the rubber hits the road, and we are able to see and know practically how this all plays out. And I have two main points this morning. First is found in verse 1, the redemption of our bodies. And the second main point is found in verse 2, the transformation of our minds. So first of all, Paul starts out by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is Paul saying here? First of all, Paul has conjured up images of the temple worship, which the Jews there in Rome that he's speaking to would have been familiar with. Some offerings were sin offerings. If you were with us during our study through the book of Hebrews, this is what Hebrews focused on. And Jesus was our sin offering. We found that in Hebrews 10.10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. And in Hebrews 10 in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. But this is not the offering here that Paul is referring to. He is referring to the whole burnt offering which is found in Leviticus chapter 1, the first 13 verses, if you want to look at that on your own. And this, this was a very valuable animal from your flock. It had to be without defect, and it had to be wholly without blemish. Why? These animals were very expensive. It showed that all you had was at God's disposal. You didn't give God the leftovers or second best. The burnt offering was also completely burnt, completely incinerated, and it represented complete consecration and devotion to God. This is the offering that Paul is speaking of. And there are three things here Paul is trying to communicate with these, with these words. Living sacrifice. He is communicating the idea of being all in. Our response to the grace of God is not partial. There's the sacrifice is completely consumed, completely burned. All that I am, all my hopes and desires given for the glory of God. Jesus was all in on you and I, and we are to be all in on him. Secondly, the sacrifice is living, which means it is ongoing and voluntary. We choose every day to sacrifice to the will of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Then Paul, Paul told the Galatians in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are called daily to pick up our cross and follow him, sacrificing our wills for the perfect will of the Father. Thirdly, and this would have been very strange to the Greeks that he was writing to, uh, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the Greeks would have been raised on a platonic kind of thought, which regarded the body more as kind of a nuisance, you know, not to be uh, thought of as important in this lifetime, more of kind of a tomb that the human spirit was imprisoned in. But Paul says, no, Jesus has redeemed your bodies as well, not just the mind, the body as well. Paul's going to speak to the mind in verse 2, but he wants them to know that our bodies are to be given in complete surrender to the Lord. If you look back at Romans chapter 6, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So you notice that word present that Paul used there. It's the same word used here in verse 1 of chapter 12. As slaves, we, we presented our bodies to the works 
of unrighteousness, but as bondservants of Christ this morning, we can now present our bodies to God to be used as instruments of righteousness. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are not our own. And Paul says we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy means to be set apart. We are, we've already looked at that. In sin, our lives were set apart to unrighteousness. But in Christ, we are set apart to good works prepared by God beforehand that we might walk in them. Our hands and our feet set apart to the Lord. Our eyes and our ears set apart to the Lord. Our tongues set apart to the Lord. And this is what is happening when we're all in, totally surrendered as a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, it would say that the burnt offering had, and sacrifice had an aroma that was pleasing to God, meaning acceptable to him. And Ephesians 5, 2 uses that same imagery and, and clarifies it for us as, as when it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to a God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now here it's helpful to have multiple translations because the Greek word here for spiritual is also translated reasonable, rational, or intelligent. And the Greek word for worship is also translated service. So depending on the translation in front of you, it might read, this is your spiritual worship, your true and proper worship, intelligent worship, reasonable service, spiritual service of worship, or spiritual service, and so on. If you've ever studied another language, you realize that sometimes there are words that don't have a one-to-one -one correlation or a translation that conveys the true meaning and significance of that word. And we, we don't have one English word that conveys the significance of what Paul is trying to communicate here in the Greek. So what we can do is we can just kind of put it all together. So the verse might read like this. So in light of all the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is the most rational, the most intelligent, reasonable, and spiritual service of worship that you can do. And just for good measure, the original Greek word here is logikos, which this is where we get our word logical from. This is the most logical response to God's love for us. Even Mr. Spock would have to agree with Paul here. I love how Tim Keller puts it, anything less than total, complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. To fail to give ourselves in complete obedience to God is not only offensively mor uh, morally, it is a failure to think clearly. I'm actually glad here that the translators can't decide what the second word means either, service or worship. Does it mean service or worship? Our reasonable service or our reasonable worship? Because so much of what we call worship today is just mere entertainment. But so much of what we call service is just our efforts to justify our standing before God, to, to work for our salvation, to work towards the Lord. Worship is so much more than music, and service is so much more than mere deeds. It is all that I am sold out to God as a daily living sacrifice. Let me quote John Piper on this when he said, let every act of your body in living 
be an act of worship. That is, let every act of your living body be a demonstration that God is your treasure. Let every act of your living body show that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. Let every act of your living body be a death to all that dishonors Christ. This is true worship. And this brings us to our second point this morning. It's a transformation of our minds. Not only must our bodies be set apart to God in response to his grace, but so must our minds. Paul here in verse 2 gives us the problem and then the solution. Well, the problem is the world is trying to conform us into their image on a daily basis. Or as we read there in that J.B. Phillips translation, it's so rightly put it that the world is trying to squeeze us into their own mold. There's a battle for your mind every single day. There's a battle for your attention and my attention every day. A battle for what you worship and what you will sacrifice your life for. Even our technology, even our, our smartphones are trying to conform us. They're trying to squeeze us into their mold you know have you ever noticed that when you buy something on amazon suddenly there's an advertisement that shows up on facebook that's because the algorithms are all designed to do that you're only seeing what you want to see my brother he just retired from microsoft and that was his job he worked in the advertising department for microsoft which their whole job is to push advertising towards its users and so depending on what you buy or where you go or what political party you follow you're only going to see those things you're going to live in a vacuum and and an echo chamber you're only going to see the things that you want to see you're going to be conformed and squeezed into the image that the world wants you to see we need to fight against this but we live in this world and we're exposed to these things every day how do we fight it now of course you've probably seen that there's a tension here in this verse when it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind And I'm going to give you the two sides of the tension. First is given to us by the Apostle John in 1 John. It says in 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then the other side of the tension Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 9. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by means, all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in the blessings. And he also says in ch- chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, but that many may be saved. So Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. But then he says, I become all things to all people. You understand the tension that exists. We live in that tension. We live that. If you're a Christian today, this world is not your own. This world is not your home. You're just passing through. You're, you're a pilgrim. You can try and make it your home, but you will never feel comfortable here Many of us know this feeling, some of us, of course, to a greater extent than others. Many of you are praying, Lord, come quickly. I want to go home. This is the tension that we deal with every day. And Jesus understood this tension that we would face living in a world that was not our own, in the world, but not of it. He even prayed, you know, in John 17, that God would not take the disciples and ultimately us out of the world, but that he would protect us from the evil one. This is the key. Satan is trying to distort our worldview any way that he can are there things that we should or should not be doing of course the bible is full of warnings about things that 
will corrupt you and I. Paul gives a great general rule to us regarding these kind of gray areas that, or the liberties that we have in Christ. He said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Problem is that the world is trying to conform us and, and the problem can be confounded by the fact that we are ignorant to these subtle ways that this could be happening and even a failure to realize this morning that this world is not our own. So what is the solution? Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we combat the efforts of the world to mold us into their image? Well, we let God mold us into the image of Christ. And this happens by being transformed by the renewal of our minds. The word transformed here means being changed from the inside out. It's not a superficial change from the inside out. This is the sanctification process. When we were justified by freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the change was instantaneous. When you and I prayed, Lord, forgive me, I receive your grace, I receive your gift of salvation. In that moment, we were clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But when we looked at Romans 7, if you remember, you know that the sanctification process has begun here on earth, but it's only going to be finished in heaven as he tells us in Romans 8, those, this is a great promise, those he has justified, he will also glorify. This transformation happens by the renewal of our minds. And Romans 12 through 16 is going to lay out more detail what this renewal process looks like. But first and foremost, the process takes place as we let the truth, the truth of God affect us by reading his word, by meditating on it, thinking through the implications for what it means and then doing it Jesus said in John chapter 17 17 as he prayed for his disciples he said sanctify them in truth in the truth your word is truth Paul wrote to the Ephesians he said husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word by daily letting God God's words shape your worldview. Your mind will be renewed and your life will be transformed. It's part of becoming that living sacrifice every day, setting your mind apart to the things of God, saying, setting my hands and my feet, setting my, my ears and my eyes, setting my tongue to the things of God. Just like, you know, climbing onto that altar is a choice and saying, Lord, I submit my body to you. The same is true for your mind. And we do this by setting our mind on the things above. And Paul already introduced this idea to us in Romans chapter 8. When, in verse 5 when he said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And Philippians chapter 4 is a great verse, one of those you can stick up on your wall, on your, on your mirror. It's a great tool for, for the renewing of the mind. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now turn with me, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, I didn't want to put this whole thing up there, but turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3. 
Because Paul is just going to give us a few things that are going to bring this particular point home to us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. That's you and I. If you've been raised with Christ. If we're Christians this morning and Jesus is our Savior. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. And he goes on in verse 5. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. And further on down in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. We're to put things off as we let this, the word of God renew our minds. We're to put things off. But then Paul goes on, he says, these are the things you're to put on. Being renewed, he says, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In verse 12, but then put on holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And he goes on and on. To take off. As we let God's word renew our mind, we're going to find that we're putting things off and we're putting things on. We're meditating on the things of God. We're sitting on our minds on the things of Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Why is it important this morning that our minds are renewed? Why is that important? So that we can test and we can discern what the will of God is. That we all want to know what God's will is. That's one of the most asked questions as a Christian. What does God want from me? What does God want from all of these important questions in my life? Paul is going to give us two general principles for knowing the will of God. And we're not going to get into it a real deep discussion on the will of God this morning. The time just does not permit. But the first is testing. When we are following God's word to renew our minds and we're putting on the things of God, we'll be able to recognize, test, when the world is trying to conform us. When the world is trying to get us to compromise. Because the world is trying to get you this morning to compromise. The absolute truth of the word of God is the means by which we can test the motivations of the world around us. The Bible is that benchmark by which we can measure that relativism the world feeds us where truth is but a feeling today. You can see how easy it is to compromise our Christian lives if our minds are not daily I emphasize that word daily, being renewed and washed in the word of God. The second principle is that God's word reveals to us, of course, his will. Uh, God's word reveals to us his will. As we are being transformed and renewed, we are able to discern what God's perfect will is. What is pleasing and acceptable to him? You know, so many times, I mean, as a pastor, you hear it many times. Someone will come to you and say, oh, I'm going to marry this person. I really love them. But I know they're not a believer. But, you know, God's going to work it out. And I know, you know, this is his will for my life. God's word says, do not be unequally yoked. I know, of course, that their feelings of love probably are very, very true and very, very real. But it's the exception and not the rule that these relationships, unfortunately, crash and burn. You know, so... God's word, let God's word be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. There's so many things that God's word lays out for us that are clearly, as we let it renew our minds and we meditate on the things of God, we're able to discern 
the will of God. And one of those verses I love is Psalm 37, 4. It's kind of my life verse. And it's kind of what set my whole life direction into becoming a missionary many, many years ago in Hungary. It goes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a promise with a condition. As we delight ourselves in him, those desires, our hopes and our dreams will slowly be conformed to his will and be greater than we can imagine. And I can promise you, having lived, taken, to, taken God to task with this verse and said, Lord, okay, if I delight myself in you, you know, you fulfill your bargain. And he did, more than I could ever imagine. I got to do things that were beyond my imagination it's a promise with a condition. But my will was conformed to his perfect will. And his perfect will is what's best for us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is where the rubber hits the road. Paul is saying that God does not want a purely inward and abstract worship, but a practical one and a total one, rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. We can live an abundant life, an uncompromised life, knowing that this world is not our home, but we're going to live a missional life as pilgrims until Jesus returns. Lord, come quickly. Let us pray. Lord, we're just so grateful for these words that Paul has laid out for us. All, and Lord, we just are so grateful this morning that you have taken the time to reveal to us who you are. You have taken your time to give us your word, which sets out your perfect will for our lives. And it's a way, Lord, that we can discern and we can test what your will is for us this morning. But most of all, Lord, it leads us to respond in worship. All that has come before the many years, Jesus, our salvation, the work of grace in our lives, Lord, leads us to worship, to worship you in all the practical areas as we submit our, our arms and our legs and our eyes and our feet and our tongues, Lord, for your service, for righteousness' sake. And Lord, I just pray this morning that there's anybody here that, Lord, they're tired, they're stressed, and Lord, just as we said, that they would just take a step back and say, Lord, what is compelling me this morning? Is it your grace or is it my desire to somehow please you? Because Lord, I just pray that you would just impart to their hearts that you are pleased with them this morning. You love them. You want the best for them. Your perfect will for them. And that they would find rest in you this week, Lord. We pray and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.